It's all the files of the whole park. It tells you everything. Sir, he's uploading the virus. Eagle One, the package is being delivered. To popular culture, North Korean hackers made their blockbuster debut after the infamous Sony hack. Sony Pictures Entertainment tells CNN it's still investigating what it calls a very sophisticated cyber attack. It was one of those watershed cyber moments, a Seth Rogen stoner comedy catching the ire of the Hermit Kingdom. You two are going to be in a room alone with Kim, and the CIA would love it if you could take him out. Hmm? Take him out. For coffee? Dinner. For kimchi? Uh, no, uh... Take him out. You want us to kill the leader of North Korea? Yes. So much so that Kim Jong-un deployed his team of skillful hackers to embarrass the movie company who made the film. CNN Money has discovered that the hackers exposed the social security numbers of Conan O'Brien, Sylvester Stallone, and over 47,000 other Sony employees and contractors. But even when the NSA confirmed North Korea was the culprit, people still openly wondered how a country with an economy smaller than many U.S. cities could afford elite hackers. Then they struck again. The White House says Pyongyang is directly responsible for the WannaCry virus that affected hospitals, businesses, and banks worldwide earlier this year. And again. South Korea's intelligence agency says it has evidence showing North Korea was behind two hack attacks on the country's cryptocurrency exchanges earlier this year. On today's show, we have ace reporter Shannon Vavra with CyberScoop News, who covers cyber warfare, to talk about North Korean hackers and what they're up to these days and how the U.S. government is responding to them. So, Shannon, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. How is D.C.? D.C. is good. It's rainy. It's busy. You know, all dealing with election security today. Election security, coronavirus, Trump. Sounds like a great city to be in right now. <laughs> it's a beautiful place. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's let's talk about North Korean hackers. We originally were going to talk about some very basic stuff, but then, well, something happened yesterday. Yeah, so yesterday the Treasury first came out and sanctioned two Chinese nationals for helping North Korean hackers, Lazarus Group, um, for basically laundering money gained through something that North Korean hackers did uh, and they, when they launched a cyber intrusion against a cryptocurrency exchange two years ago now. And then later in the day, DOJ followed up charging the same two Chinese nationals for helping the North Korean hackers. Um, and it's interesting because obviously, one, we've seen Treasury come out before and sanction Lazarus Group. They did that last fall in September um, but this is kind of the first time we're seeing U.S. government formally sanctioning Chinese nationals with assisting North Korean hacking targeted at cryptocurrencies. Um, and, and we've seen the U.S. government before call out China for helping North Korea evade sanctions through shipping companies, as well as Russia. Um, there, there was a Russian company that was allegedly helping North Korea evade sanctions, too. But it's this blending of uh, Chinese nationals helping North Korean entities evade sanctions. That's a really interesting sort of geopolitical angle here that we're seeing the U.S. government take. And, and also, I mean, how do you see sort of this relationship between China and and North Korean hackers? Because I know there was at, at one point North Korean hackers were stationed in China and were being trained by the PLA. Right. So what's interesting here is if we if we kind of zoom out and look at the Chinese relationship with North Korea, we know that China has long been reluctant to call out North Korean hacking and cyber intrusions. Like even WannaCry, uh, Chinese computers were harmed with that attack too, which the U.S. government has attributed to North Korea. Um, but we have to remember, China and North Korea are longtime allies here. And if 
if let's say North Korea enters into some sort of crisis because they're no longer uh, capable of funding their regime goals, uh, China will have to deal with any sort of spillover and any sort of crisis there. So that sort of at a basic level is at play here. But we also know the history of sort of um, training going back and forth between China and North Korea. And even the Treasury Department yesterday said that North Korea is known to train cyber actors on their behalf. And it seems that they're alleging that is widely related to China now. And so, you know, uh, we know that obviously the North Koreans were behind something like the Sony hack and WannaCry, but those were a few years ago. Lately, what have been sort of their their activities? Yeah, so the interesting thing about the North Korean hackers is a lot of what will come out about their activities isn't necessarily coming from the U.S. government. We have a couple of indictments over the last couple of years related to North Korean um, actors and Chinese actors helping them. But um, what we've seen is sort of a switch from maybe this more, this noisier activity like Sony, uh, which which was very clearly attributed to North Korea afterwards, and, and WannaCry, which was pretty destructive and, and caused uh, lots of damage and, and, and billions of dollars of damages. Um, and more to what we've seen lately is North Korean hackers working on targeting, getting a little bit more tailored with who they're focusing on. Um, as well as being a little bit more stealthy, or at least trying to. Obviously, they're still getting caught through different private entities and private sector entities' uh, telemetry, but they're working on getting a little stealthier. So, um, for example, last year, there were a couple of research reports that came out um, about North Korean hackers using FPX files, Kodak uh, FlashPix files, to deliver some malware against some targets, um, mostly those related to think tanks and in the academic sector. Um, and that's usually less detectable than other standard files. So it looks like they're trying to avoid um, antivirus products uh, in that sense. They're also running different commands to check for whether victim machines are running antivirus products and hope probably an effort to avoid detection. Um, and a whole host of other things too. Uh, like we've seen North Korean hackers largely start to rely on front companies. So they're creating fake companies that deliver fake software to uh, people who believe they may be getting legitimate services or products from companies. And then those products then deliver malware and allow uh, North Korean hackers to uh, either funnel off money or target cryptocurrency exchanges uh, to get virtual based currency. So it looks like they're getting a little bit more interested in covering up their tracks in the last couple of years. So they're they're targeting cryptocurrency. Are they targeting industrial control systems? Are they targeting academics? And what kinds? Do we know? So they, so they have been targeting think tanks in recent years. There's obviously been some targeting of South Korean uh, think tanks. And recently in the last year, some of that activity has turned over to uh, U.S., based think tanks. And even since um, even since WannaCry, there's been targeting of, uh, I think there was a phone business in Egypt that was targeted that appeared to be in um, competition with, with North, North Korea. Um, there was targeting of a manufacturing company, a Western manufacturing company, um, that kind of thing. So it, it seems to be pretty broad, but, but generally, if we think about what North Korea is after, we know that they're very interested in bolstering their 
economy. We saw at the beginning of 2019, Kim Jong-un come out and say, we're focused on developing our economy. And then we continue to see them go after uh, financial-based attacks, which is largely what the U.S. intelligence community continues to say about North Korea is that they're after sort of financial gain. It's interesting because they kind of seem like they're parroting some of the same sort of things that Iranian hackers were doing, where they kind of came out of the gate when they were learning some of these tactics. Well, after President Trump reimposed economic sanctions on Iran last month, Iranian state-backed hackers tried to break into the emails of U.S. officials tasked with enforcing them. And making very splashy hacks. I'm thinking of like Shamoon and some of these other types of hacks. And then slowly started targeting academic institutions for corporate IP and then also focusing on trying to gather intelligence and sort of sophisticated, more sophisticated attacks and less sort of, you know, destructive and obvious ones. Yeah. And and two interesting things about that. One, we know that in, I think it was in 2012, Iran and North Korea developed some sort of a mutual cyber agreement. And we've seen some borrowing back and forth. Um, I think some of Iranian wiper malware has has been shown to be sort of linked or um, inspired by North Korean uh, practices. But on the flip side, it would be curious. I'd be curious to kind of watch North Korea moving forward and see how much more they're borrowing from Iranian either practices or or techniques. Um, and that's something that I'm not sure we've seen fully play out yet. Yeah, I mean they're both similar countries in that they're cut off widely from the global economic system. So they kind of have the same, I mean, they have the same types of targets and limitations. Right. And I think sort of another part to all this is that we've seen a concerted effort from the U.S. government to hammer that home to both Iran and North Korea over the years in terms of limiting their access to global financial institutions. It's funny because I think a lot of people, when you talk about North Korean hackers, and you still do, it was something that came out after the Sony hack, people would say, you know, how could a country that has the economy of like a a mid-sized city in the United States pay for hackers and use them against the U.S. government? Right. I mean, anytime you look at a regime like that, you have to think about what's important to them. And if they can't keep their regime afloat, that's got to be where they're putting their resources. Um, and, And something else to that, too, it brings up, there was a newsy nugget in the last couple of weeks. There was a researcher, his name is Patrick Wardle. He found that North Korean hackers were using a tool that appeared to be borrowed from a silence blog post from three years ago, which brings up a couple questions. One, obviously that's smart. If a tool works, use it, maybe it's opportunistic. But it's also a question of maybe the arsenal that North Korean hackers are relying on now has been depleted. Maybe they need to look elsewhere for um, resources to run their financial-based attacks. And this is all sort of me sort of opining about what could be happening there, but it's not really clear why they're borrowing that that loader, I think it was. Um, but that's an interesting thing to sort of latch on to moving forward. So what is the U.S. government and Cybercom's response to North Korea right now? Yeah, so the, U- the U.S. government has been working to publicly air some of what North Korean hackers have been up to in the last couple of years. Uh, for example, with Cyber Command, uh, they have this new program where they're uploading malware samples to VirusTotal. That's actually a two-year-old program now. It still feels sort of new um, because each time they upload, the the approach seems to be a little bit different. For example, um, 
sometimes they'll upload samples of malware linked with North Korean hackers that appear to be new. Uh, sometimes they'll link samples that appear to be old. Um, and they don't do this just for North Korea. They'll do this for Russia, too, and Iran, too. Um, but it's not clear if it's working. So the, the goal appears to be uh, to disrupt adversaries, I think, according to a FOIA from, from your organization um, and your colleagues. Uh, it appears that they're trying to disrupt adversaries. But it's also sort of a two-pronged thing. Uploading to virus total is also intended to bolster defenses uh, from the in the private sector who may be able to detect these samples. Um, but it's not clear if, for instance, North Korea has backed off of hacking as a result of these uploads. Um, it might just be more of a strategic norms building, sort of pointing the finger at North Korea and saying, you can no longer be anonymous in the cyber realm. Um, and, you know, from another perspective, it's not just Cyber Command, right? We've seen Treasury roll out these sanctions uh, this week. And then last year, uh, we know um, that DHS works with Cyber Command to roll out malware analysis reports to private sector on these kinds of uh, issues. Um, and there's also the Department of Justice sort of working on different indictments as well. And, you know, I, you, all, you also have to think to yourself when it comes to North Korean hacking, what is the U.S. government doing to North Korea? We're going to turn now to the latest twist in that Sony hack attack from North Korea. President Obama promised to respond at a time and place of America's choosing, and now North Korea's internet has crashed. Right. So that's sort of in a broader picture from the Cyber Command uh, aspect here. We know that Cyber Command has been working to disrupt adversaries in the election security space. We've seen public reporting from the New York Times and the Washington Post about disrupting the Internet Research Agency in Russia, um, disrupting their Internet access, for instance, or sending them direct messages to try and disrupt them. But John Bolton, when when he was national security advisor in the White House, said some of that sort of public disruption or, I guess, a little more covert disruption abroad could be then applied in the economic realm. And we know North Korea runs these financial-based attacks. And China, too, who now the Department of Justice has started a track record of saying China is helping them. China runs a lot of economic-based um, cyber heists. So it wouldn't be surprising if Cyber Command started running these kinds of defend-forward uh, targeting against North Korea, but it's not clear if that's um, on the table right now, especially as denuclearization talks are so protracted and, and delayed now. I do remember someone in the U.S. intelligence community telling me that to know what the U.S. is doing against North Korea, you just have to look at what the president has said is an objective, a strategic objective for North Korea when it comes to U.S. policy. And if that means denuclearization, that means the NSA is probably looking at ways to get into their systems. And, you know, a few years ago after the Sony hack, we saw that the Internet went out in North Korea at one point. So we know that the U.S. has some sort of capability in the country, even though it seems to be completely cut off from the rest of the world, even from the Internet in, in many ways. Right. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see if anything happens moving forward. But I think another sort of prong to the whole argument here is going back to the China issue. We the United States is in a trade war with China right now. There's a lot on the table there. There's ongoing conversations about Huawei. And if you mess with North Korea, you start sort of getting into the area where China will have to be a part of the equation as well. So suffice to say, we might be hearing about North Korean hackers in the next few months. <laughs> definitely, definitely. 
Well, thank you for coming on Cyber, Shannon. Thank you very much. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. So one thing I wanted to talk about, Jason, really quickly is remember when you almost got exposed to Ebola? I did. Yeah, that was ex- <laughs> that was really exciting. Yeah, it, it, that was like my first month at Motherboard too. I was like, from what? The past. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. was. Uh, I went bowling at the same bowling alley as the only guy in New York who was diagnosed with Ebola on the <laughs> like night he was diagnosed. Yeah, he, and like, then you came into to work the, the next day. Well, I didn't know. I, I mean, and and like Ebola is spread through blood and. Uh, like bodily fluids and stuff and I didn't, you know, exchange any with anyone that night. Well, but yeah, here we are uh what still five, alive. 6 7 years later and a new pandemic has ar- arisen to a new freak real out one. about. A new freaky one. A yeah. freaky freaky time. Who knows, we're recording this Tuesday. I think there's been two confirmed cases of uh coronavirus in New York City Yeah, and like a bunch more in Seattle and other places. I wonder by Thursday when this comes out. A who will win Super Tuesday? And B, will we all have coronavirus? Well, I have a friend named Josh who told me in a panic this morning that he was going to make a bunch of soup this Saturday, which just made me actually laugh out loud on the train. I don't, I don't know. That feels like a non sequitur to me. What, like, what, what he's is like, it? Does I'm, soup keep well? He's like, soup, he's like I'm, I'm going to survive the coronavirus pandemic from soup. Oh, I feel like uh, I've thought about this a lot and we don't need to get deep into it, but it seems like soup is good at first because it's hot and it kills all the bugs, but then it's like a liquid broth with a bunch of like... Yeah. So like once you put it in the fridge or elsewhere, it seems like it'd be a good breeding ground for pathogens. Also, you know... That's science right there. Soup is not... It'll go through you. Yeah. Should we talk about blogs? Yeah, let's talk about articles. All right, yeah, yeah. Let's, Let's get to that. This is the cipher... After all, yeah, there's a good article on Motherboard about uh, public transportation and coronavirus, though. You should read it. Everyone read it's, it. It's, it's not, a, it's incredible. It's not where everyone is going to get sick. You're more likely to get sick at your house or your place of work. Where so we I are should now. just stay home. Yeah. Uh, Clearview, Clearview AI, not a good week for Clearview AI. Not, Deservedly, by the not way. Not a good few months for Clearview AI, a company no one had heard of uh, as recently as, what, like a month and a half ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a company that sells facial recognition technology to cops, to apparently the NBA for some reason. Um, they they had like a flaw in their website where their client list got leaked in the last week. And the NBA is part of it? The NBA was on it. A bunch of, I think Macy's was on it. Like a, some stores were on it. A bunch of cops. Oh, um, God. 
I actually don't remember. That's not what we're here to talk about necessarily. What we are here to talk about is the type of data that it collects on you. Mm -hmm. So there's a new law in California called the CCCPA, I believe. California Consumer Something Privacy Act, CCPA. CCPA. Uh, And it's very similar to GDPR in Europe where uh, companies are required to send you basically like a database of what they have collected about you uh, if you request it from them. So Anna Merlin, who is a senior staff writer here at Vice, uh, lives in California and requested her data file from Clearview. And what they sent her was just like 15 selfies of herself that she took, you know, as dating back as far as like 15 years ago. But like where, like where did they come from? I mean, these were selfies that she, like, one, she put on MySpace, like, a couple were on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. And it's, like, Clearview was scraping Instagram. It was scraping MySpace. It was scraping, like, Facebook and a couple other social media sites. By the way, I thought most of those websites actually made it where it was against their terms of service to... To scrape. Yeah, but there was recently, like, a... There was recently a Supreme Court case that... I believe determined that it's okay to scrape websites or perhaps it decided that it's not okay. I actually don't remember. Uh, But in any case, it's like, it's something that's very much been in open litigation and regardless of whether it's legal or not, there are a bunch of companies that do it regardless. And what Anna learned, because along with the selfies, it sent links to the websites that it scraped it from. They weren't scraping like directly from Instagram, for example, they were scraping from the sites that scrape Instagram. So they were like one level removed. So there was, I forget what the site is called, but it was like some website that scraped Instagram and made like an archive of Instagram elsewhere. Clearview was then scraping that second archive. So like they weren't the ones who were violating the terms of service. It was like this original company. Well, the the reason I liked this one so much was it was kind of like that, that, that really kind of foreboding feeling about the modern world in which people and companies have photos of you that you know are out there, but they've got them. Do you know what I mean? And it's like you request something and you see a bunch of pictures of yourself that you took and you're like, I don't like that they have that. Yeah, and it's being used in like a police data- database. Exactly. It's really bad. It's um, really bad. And so, I mean, I think like a lot of these photos are from 10 years ago or longer and it's like, 10 years ago, we didn't know this was going to happen. And mm. like, there are people out there who are like, oh, you shouldn't post photos of yourself on the internet or like, you shouldn't take selfies. It's the same people who are like, you shouldn't send nudes or what have you. But we and all do like, it. We all do we it. All do and it. then it's, it's like, how are you supposed to foresee all of this stuff? And it's like, you make a mistake one time and then, you know, it kind of follows you around for the rest of your life. And it's just not, it's not like the world that we should be living in, but it's the world that we are living in. Thanks, George. Profound. Thanks, George Orwell. Is that profound? It was profound. Okay, so following on some great reporting from Joseph Cox over the last year, FCC victory. Damn, FCC. we need some. We need some fucking kickbacks here. So we should. Yeah, this is like this is big. This is called impact journalism from JoJo Cox. Yeah. So we've been reporting and we talked on cyber like maybe one million times about uh, cell phone companies selling location data for of uh, their customers to bouncy hunters to landlords to, I don't know, a bunch of other people, shady figures. Uh, we did a big story in January 2019 about T-Mobile selling 
location data to a bounty hunter that we then bought for $300. So we were able to track a phone. And this spurred, along with a New York Times story that uh, came earlier, spurred an investigation into how these companies, T-Mobile, Sprint, Verizon, and AT&T, were selling location data of their customers. So the FCC took a really long time to investigate this stuff. I think the investigation was going on for like two years or something. And then last week, finally, it decided that it was going to sue them a total of like $209 million. So it was like, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but T-Mobile got hit with like a $70 million uh, fine. I think AT&T came after that and then Verizon and then... uh, Sprint was hit with like, I don't know, like seven or eight million and it added up to 209 million. Well, I also should say that Senator Ron Wyden, friend of the show, in his sort of statement on this whole thing, he said, and this is clearly in reference to JoJo, okay, this issue only came to light after my office and dedicated journalists discovered how wireless companies shared Americans' locations data willy nilly. So we got, we got a, we got a, we got a shout out, Mr. Cox. Yeah, and so the there, there are two things I want to point out here. One, $209 million. That's Not a lot. lot. It, well, it's a lot of money just in terms of like, I don't have $209 million, but like no, to, these companies' annual revenue is billions and billions and billions of dollars. And if you think that every American has a cell phone, which is, you know, everyone, I think there are more cell phones than people in the United States. Like, Especially active. I'm sure there's there's probably double the amount of active cell phones as there are people. Right. And so you, you say 350 million people in the U.S., like that's less than a dollar per person, mm-hmm. like by a long stretch. Uh, the companies made a lot of money doing this. And second, it's like, it's very uh, rewarding when you see something like this happen. And, uh, you know, FCC, if you want to kick us back a few million here or there, like, you know, let's talk. It's the, it wouldn't talk. be ethical, but like, let's talk. Yeah, it's kind of like when I was uh, last week when I was saying we should get Ring to sponsor this podcast. Yeah, we, sh- we, we shouldn't do that, but like, yeah. you know. Like, I mean, I got I got a number. Got to eat. Yeah, I got a number. Yeah, I got a, I got a few Ring people. was sponsoring the 538 podcast. I'll call them out. Were they really? They were. Wow, 538. Wow. Yeah. Not cool. Not cool. Shots fired from Cyber to 538, but I don't give a fuck. Nate Silver, show your face. Yeah, Nate Silver. (laughs) How about them 2016 election results, Nate? That's what I thought. Anyway, uh, this is a good one. This company is using racially based algorithms to select jurors. Just when you think algorithms couldn't be more of an asshole, (laughs) here they are. Here they are. So the company is called Momus Analytics. Quote, named after the Greek god of blame, criticism, and mockery. Why do people do this? Don't know. I don't, it's like, it's like, call, I'm just waiting for some asshole to call something Thanos or Thanos or whatever. I don't even watch those movies. Yeah, so it started by a guy named Alex Alvarez, who is a an attorney who lost a case and blamed the jury. Like, basically was like, well, the jury didn't know what the hell they were talking about. So he started this company. That seems accurate. And uh, he used it to help. Uh, I guess attorneys decide who to put on a jury and who not to put on a jury. And of course it's like horribly biased. It doesn't even pretend to try to like not be biased. Like a lot of machine learning and AI, they're kind of just like, oh yeah, you know, we take into account privacy and we take into account, like we try to fight back against biases and what have you. And it's like, of course, all AI is biased. We've talked about this a lot, but like this, uh, this AI gives like different races, different trustworthy scores. 
and things of this nature. So it's just like, it's extremely Trust- bad. Trustworthy scores? Yeah. And like, so uh, I think, yeah. So Momus relies on, I'm going to quote from the story. So Momus begins by scraping public records and jurors' social media posts. It then feeds the collected data into algorithms that determine scores for, quote, leadership, social responsibility, and personal responsibility. The company's patent application lists several characteristics Momus relies on to reach those conclusions. Among them, people of Asian, Central American, or South American descent are more likely to be leaders, while people who describe their race as other are less likely to be leaders. What the fuck? Yeah, it's bad. What's other? I don't know. <laughs> it's bad. Multiracial, I guess. Who knows? Wow. Ooh. That's just... Uh, so... Yeah, it's a little too much. It's like, so for every uh, like serious company that comes along like doing something bad with AI, there's one that's just like straight up evil. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think now we're at the point where you just put a, just a blockade on all that stuff. Yeah. Anyway, you should keep listening to Cyber. You should. We don't use AI. We don't use AI. This is 100% human-made. Human-made. Handmade uh, love love from the motherboard uh, and vice crew. Yeah, let's just let it send it there. Okay. This week's episode was recorded by Jeremy Lee Given, edited by Ricardo Contreras, hosted and produced by me, Ben Maku, and I'll catch you next week. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.